turn to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea. And we'll begin in chapter number one tonight. Now, the reason I chose Hosea for a couple of reasons. One is we, a while back, finished the book of Daniel. And it does follow Daniel. And actually, my plan is to do a series uh, of studies on what's called the Minor Prophets. Now, there's nothing minor about the Minor Prophets. In fact, I've entitled this series A Major Message from, from the Minor Prophets. And uh, that's really what it is. And it's a message for our time. And we'll be looking at all the Minor Prophets, God willing, if he doesn't come and take us out of here soon. Uh, actually, I'm, I hope he's willing to take us out of here soon. But if we, if we stay here and the Lord doesn't return, then, then uh, we'll try to go through uh, Hosea, uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. We'll try to do all of those. And, and I looked at it and I thought, well, maybe that might be too much for us to stay in the Minor Prophets that long. But really, it's not much more material than we covered in the Gospel of Luke in all of those books. And, and it is an applicable message for today. Also, our, our plan, at least for now, unless God changes it, is to finish the New Testament. And so it won't be long and we'll be heading into the book of Revelation. And a lot of Revelation comes from, I, I don't believe it, it, it comes from John's vision, but it's prophesied, that vision, that what John saw, is prophesied a lot of it in the Minor Prophets. So it'll help us as we go into Revelation to have covered Daniel and the Minor Prophets. Daniel's considered one of the major prophets, but, but uh, his prophecy is about the end of times. And a lot of what we're going to see, not so much in Hosea, but in some of the other Minor Prophets, is about the end times. And so uh, I think it'll be a really good study. Uh, let me just give you a short introduction on the book of Hosea. Uh, which is the first of the Minor Prophets, and, and I guess maybe the largest book in the Minor Prophets. So we'll be in here longer than we will be in any other book. Uh, and when you look at this book on the surface, I mean, if you just read through the book of Hosea really quickly, what kind of picture are you going to get? So those of you that are familiar with the Minor Prophets, what do you usually hear when you read the Minor Prophets? What I think we hear the most is a message of judgment, that judgment is coming. But what I want you to see, and you see it right in this first prophet, what's the name mean? Hosea. What's that name mean, you know? It means salvation. It means salvation. So the message is really not judgment. The message is the ultimate salvation we have in the Lord. The ultimate salvation we have in the coming of the Messiah. So uh, it's really a message about God's forgiveness and his mercy uh, more than it is a message about judgment. Now, the judgment is there because before the Lord returns, there's going to be judgment on this earth. Before Israel could be revived, there was a revival that took place in Israel upon their return after their captivity. Before they were, had, could be revived, they had to be judged. And so uh, uh, he, God shows us his heart in this book, I mean, it means, again, the name of the book means salvation. And what he does, he has Hosea go out and marry a harlot. And the reason he has Hosea go out and marry a harlot is that he wants Hosea to speak from the heart. He wants, to understand, he wants Hosea to understand his heart and how 
hurt his heart is over the adulterous ways of the Israelites. And, uh, you know, I think God still works that way. That's why I don't recommend preaching to anybody. Because I, I think sometimes God brings you into situations that helps you understand his heart and helps you understand the heart of the people. And, and so you get broken a lot. If, you, if you're in ministry of any sort, you're going to get broken a lot. And you're going to see some really terrible things and, and, and you're going to see them sometimes through God's eyes and you're going to understand because of your hurt, you're going to understand a little bit about God's hurts. I think sometimes, you know, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. Sometimes the best messages I've given is when I'm just totally, have been totally broken by God. When things are happening around me, I just don't understand. And, and uh, that's what he does with Hosea in a much greater way. I mean, Hosea obviously is one of the minor prophets. And again, there's no such thing as a minor prophet. Uh, he's, a, he's got a major message. And uh, he speaks that message from a broken heart. Now, who was Hosea? We don't know much about him. We know very little about him. Uh, I mean, it tells us in verse number one that the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Barry. And, and it tells us in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. But that's really all we know about him. But from his message, we can glean the fact that more than likely Hosea was living in the northern kingdom. And he was speaking to the northern kingdom in the times of the kings of Judah, Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. And in the time Jeroboam the second reigned over the northern kingdom. Jeroboam the second reigned a long time. So Hosea's ministry was about 50 years. And it was a ministry given during... Uh, kind of a strange time because Israel, when Hosea began his ministry, was prospering. They were doing wonderful. They were a military might. They, were they, they had all sorts of power, political power in the world, and they had a powerful economic machine. And he comes on the scene preaching judgment, and, and people are saying, <laughs> judgment? You know, we're, we got it as good as we've ever had it. What do you mean, judgment? But later on, during his life, during his ministry, Israel would actually be judged by God and that economic prosperity would, would end and, and uh, their military would be defeated in a mighty way and they would go into captivity. And this happened uh, in his lifetime. So, he, so he, his ministry was during the time of King Uzziah, who was a really great king in Judah. Jotham, who was a, you know, kind of an okay king. Ahaz, what was Ahaz like? Terrible king, wicked, one of the worst kings uh, ever uh, in any society. Ahaz was a terrible king. And then there was Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, who was a very, very, very good king. And then you had Jeroboam II uh, and Joash, who, who were kings in the northern kingdom during uh, the time of Amos's ministry. Uh, so his ministry went somewhere between about 767 B.C. and 686 B.C. Uh, and they went into captivity in 721 B.C., so more than likely he went into captivity with them. But when he's given this message that we're reading in the book of Hosea, uh, it, was, it was before they went into captivity. We don't know exactly when. 
He was a contemporary of Amos, the prophet Amos in the northern kingdom and a contemporary of Isaiah and Micah in the southern kingdom. Uh, Amos, we'll get into Amos, you know, in a few books. And uh, uh, Amos had a really strong message from for the northern kingdom, too. Amos comes on the scene right as they're about to go into captivity. And his message is really, really stern. So so. Uh, um, more than likely, again, he was in the northern kingdom because we know in verse seven, seven, uh, in chapter seven, verse five, that he addresses. Uh, he he says he mentions the king of Samaria as being our king. So by saying that he's our king, then uh, more than likely he was living in the in the northern kingdom. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, uh, and also throughout the book, when you, if you if you want to you know, get a little bit of a head start on this. You want to read through the book before next time. Uh, he mentions Ephraim over and over and over again. And Ephraim was another name for the northern kingdom because Ephraim was the largest tribe. And it was off, the northern kingdom was also often referred to as Ephraim and the southern kingdom was referred to as Judah, uh, even though there were more tribes in the northern kingdom and there was the tribe of Benjamin along with Judah in the southern kingdom. But it's always referred to as Judah. Northern kingdom was often referred to as Ephraim. And this message is to Ephraim, so we're pretty sure that uh, he, was, he was speaking to, uh, to the northern kingdom and he was living in the northern kingdom uh, during that time. Now, the conditions to me look a lot like, or like, like the conditions in the United States of America today. I mean, we are living in a time of great economic prosperity. Uh, we are living in a time where the United States is the most mighty military power on this earth. But if you talk to the average person on the street, they think this country's in deep, deep trouble. Unless they've got their head in the sand, they think this country is in deep, deep trouble. They think our military is in deep, deep trouble. They think there's clouds and rumors of war uh, and, and uh, an economic disaster looming somewhere down the line. People are afraid in the United States of America. I mean, I believe, I mean, there's an element that, you know, they, like I say, they've got their head in the sand and they don't see what's going on. But, but even though we're in a state of economic prosperity, things look really bad. And why do they look so bad? Because we're such an immoral nation. And everybody, I don't care who they are, deep down inside knows there's a God. And he's a righteous God. And he's, he's a God of love and he's a God of mercy, but he's also a God of justice. And at some point, the hammer's going to fall. You can't keep going like we're going. And God not judge this country when he's judged every other country that's gone down the path we're heading. And God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so he's going to, whatever he did to Israel, I believe he at some point is going to do to the United States of America. And I'm not here to depress you tonight. But, but and, and that's part of the message of the minor prophets. It's pretty depressing. Somebody asked me, well, let's go through Jeremiah. I said, man, I'm not going through Jeremiah. I'll lose, every, I'll lose everybody by the time we finish Jeremiah. But the minor prophets, is, is, there's kind of a bounce. It's, it's 
really, really depressing, and then it's really, really good news. I mean, yes, God judges a nation, but he does it in love. He does it. His judgment is his mercy. When a nation reaches a point where, where the best thing he can do for them is to destroy them, the wicked, and, and, and take the people into captivity or do whatever he wants to do to, to save that nation, he'll do what it takes. Just like a dentist, if you got a tooth that's killing you and, and there's nothing they can do for it, he's going to pull it. And God's going to do the same thing. That dentist doesn't pull the tooth to be mean. He pulls the tooth to help you. And God judges a nation to, to, uh, to help that nation. And so here was this nation and they were worshiping. They were having great political and economic prosperity, but they were living in great sin and they were worshiping all sorts of idols. And, and, and again, I... I, I think that's where we're at now. And it, God didn't let it go on forever. 721 B.C., Sennacherib came down from Assyria and he destroyed the nation of Israel. And we'll see that in the text tonight. And he, and he, and he took the remnant captive and scattered them throughout the Middle East. And so God's judgment came, adown, came down upon them at, at, at some point. Now, Here's the good news. The good news is, in the name of Hosea, God is the God of salvation. I mean, I like that name Hosea because from that name we get Yeshua. The last part of Yeshua is really the Hosea part, the salvation part. Jehovah is salvation. And God is salvation. And yes, he's a God of judgment, but he's also a God of mercy and, and uh, uh History's heading toward a point where the ultimate judgment is going to come in the great tribulation on this earth. But hey, what happens after that? The Lord returns and the millennium begins and Christ rules and reigns in righteousness for a thousand years. That's pretty good news to me. And that's the news we're going to get in, in, this, in this book and the rest of the minor prophets. So let's go to, to the book of Hosea and let's look at verse number one. And I read that a while ago, but let's read it again. It says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And uh, uh, some of these, most of these kings in the northern kingdom, I mean in the southern kingdom, were good kings, and Jeroboam and Joash, uh, Jeroboam was a terrible king. And then verse number two, it says, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea. Now watch this. This is a really interesting verse. They, his ministry was in the days of these kings. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry. What, did he, what was he saying? Go find you a prostitute. That's, that's who I want you to marry. I want you to. Find you a prostitute. She can be good looking. She can be ugly. Doesn't give any qualifications there. Uh, but find you a, a prostitute and uh, uh, go uh, take yourself a wife of harlotry. And, and then I want you to have children with her. Not only do I want you to have this wife, this prostitute wife, I want you to have children from her. For the land has committed great harlotry. By departing from the Lord. Now you can see why that verse causes expositors a lot of problems. 
Because how can a holy God tell Hosea to go find him a prostitute for a wife? That actually violates the Mosaic law, the very law that God set up. And so what a lot of expositors do, they say that's not really what God said. I mean, he really, because God wouldn't say something like that. So what it's really saying here is that the Lord allowed Hosea to go and take a prostitute for his wife. That's, that's not what the text says at all, is it? I mean, we got to look at this text and take it literally. Or you start doing damage to, to the entire Bible if you don't take every text literally when it's given literally like this. And the word go is an imperative. And the word, who's that imperative coming from? It's coming from Jehovah God. And so God says, go find you a harlot and marry her. And I want you to have children from that harlot. I want you to love that harlot. And the reason God wanted him to love that harlot again was so that he knew that that harlot was going to break Hosea's heart. And when Hosea began to preach about uh, the sin of Israel and the harlotry of Israel, Hosea would understand God's broken heart. He would have empathy for God's broken heart. And, and God knew that that prostitute was going to break Hosea's heart. And, and here was the reason he gives us for the land has committed great harlotry. And he doesn't give the specifics of the harlotry, but, he's, but he kind of sums it up by departing from the Lord. And really on the Hebrew, it only says from the Lord. What's that mean? They, turn, they had turned from the Lord. They had turned from the Lord to, into uh, uh, all sorts of fornication. They had turned from the Lord into all sorts of idolatry, uh, into, into uh, all sorts of sins. I mean, it doesn't name the sins, but they had totally departed from the Lord. And God says, hey, I want you to give a message to the nation of Israel that they're going to be judged, that judgment is coming. And so you, that you're able to give that message the way I want you to give that message. I want you to go and take a harlot, a prostitute for your wife. And you know what that passage tells me? You cannot put God into some theological box. You just can't do it. God is God. God makes the laws of nature. Can God violate the laws of nature when he wants to? That's what we call a miracle, don't we? God has that privilege. God can set up a mosaic law and he, if he wants somebody to break that law and, and, and for good, then he can, he, can, he can tell them to go break that law. It's his law. And, and I can't figure out why God did that. And I'm not going to change the text to, to fit what I believe about God. I mean, all I know is God is good. God is holy. And God didn't sin when he did this, but he told him to go and take a harlot for a wife. So he found him a harlot. Verse number three, he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam. And she conceived and bore. Now watch the wording here because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be important as we go through a few more verses. She conceived and bore him a son. So who did, who did she have the relationships with in order to get pregnant. Hosea. It's because she 
gave him a son. She bore his son is really literally what it says there. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. Now Jeroboam II was from the house of Jehu. So he's talking about avenging the the, avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jeroboam II. I'm about to judge this kingdom, the Jeroboam II's kingdom, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, what's Jehu got to do with all of that? What's the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu? Do you, you remember who Jehu was? You remember who Ahab and Jezebel were? We've got to back up a little bit. You remember who Naboth was? Naboth had a vineyard in the valley of Jezreel. He had a vineyard there. And Ahab wanted it more than anything else in the world. And he went and made him a very handsome offer. And Nahab, Naboth refused to, I said Nahab, Naboth refused, refused the, author, the offer. And uh, so he went and cried to his wife, Jezebel, and what did Jezebel do? She had Naboth murdered and his blood was spilt in the valley of Jezreel. And remember what God said through the prophets. He said that both Ahab and Jezebel's blood will be spilled in the valley of Jezreel. And who, who spilt that blood? The avenger was who? It was Jehu. So now Jehu, the avenger, is going to be avenged. Because Jehu wasn't a really good guy either. And his descendants weren't really good people. And so now God is going to avenge the blood of the avenger and, and uh, uh, he's going to judge them in the, in the valley of Jezreel. Then he says, it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, if you look for the little city of Jezreel on a map, there's a little valley there, but it's a bigger valley around that valley. It's a great valley there. It's called the Valley of Megiddo. In the Hebrew, Arm Valley, Megiddo, Armageddon. Je Jezreel, the Valley of Jezreel is the Valley of Armageddon. And it was down in this valley when Sennacherib came down to fight the Israelites that he met their army on the battlefield. That, that valley has a lot of history. A lot of wars were fought down in that valley. A lot of blood was spilled down in that valley. And so when the Israelites came up against Assyria, they fought them in the valley of uh, uh, Jezreel or in the Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, and the bow of Israel was broken. Their army was defeated. Uh, Sennacherib went to Samaria and burned down Samaria. And the people that were left, he took off uh, captive and scattered them throughout the Middle East. And so God is pronouncing uh, judgment on uh, Israel down in the valley of uh, Jezreel, that's just a type of what's going to happen here in the near future. When the Antichrist bow is broken, where is it broken? It's broken down in the valley of Jezreel, in the, in the valley of Megiddo, in Armageddon. That's why we have that battle of Armageddon. What happens? The Antichrist, how long does that battle last? Just long enough for Jesus to wipe him out. Just like that. When he returns... That battle is over and the millennial reign. And we'll see that in Zechariah. When we're in Zechariah, the Lord will land on the Mount of Olives. The Mount will split 
and the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ will begin. Even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? Some bad times coming though. Judgment's coming before, before that, that, that happens. Thank goodness for the rapture. Thank goodness we won't be here. Just like we looked at Sunday, Noah was raptured out before the flood. Lot was raptured out before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And we're going to be raptured out of here before uh, that battle takes place. So, so we'll be coming back with Jesus when that battle begins. And, and there'll be no battle, really. He'll be destroyed in that. All the armies of the world will be gathered there. We saw that in Daniel. And, and boof, it'll be over. Then look at verse number six. It says, and she conceived again. Now watch the wording. And bore a daughter. Now, it doesn't say she bore him a daughter, as it did in the previous verse, or the, the verse before, when, uh, which one was it, uh, when he bore a son, verse number three, yeah, she bore him a son. Here it says she bore a daughter. So, uh, my belief is, and, I, you know, there are people that would disagree with this, but my belief is she went out and started... Uh, doing her thing again and she had sexual relations with somebody else other than Hosea and she bore a daughter and look at and, and that makes sense when you when you hear what God says about that daughter the name he gives her he says then God said to him call her name Lo Ruhamah for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel but I will utterly take them away they're going to go into captivity. They're going to be destroyed and they're going to go into captivity. Now look at that name again. Lo. Lo means no, nothing. Uh, it literally means she never knew her father's mercy. That's literally what that name means. She, she never knew her father. She didn't know who her father was. She never lived under the mercy and grace of her own biological father. I really believe that's the reason God gave her that name, but God gave her that name as a picture of the state of Israel during this time. There, there was coming a time when God would call Israel Lo Ruhamah because uh, no longer, uh, he says, uh, will I have mercy on the house of Israel as a father has mercy on their child, but I will utterly take them away. In other words, Israel has played the harlot for so long that she's bore a generation of children that don't know God as their father, that don't know the God of Israel. And so God says, I'll know, I don't know her, so I'll no longer have mercy on her. And he's speaking of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. In other words, this Israel will not be a party to my mercy and grace anymore. I will leave you. I'm going to leave you, God says, to the Assyrians to utterly destroy your nation. And as it says in the last part of that verse, to take you away into captivity. You know, I believe on a national level and on an individual level, too. That as our idolatry causes us to drift further and further away from God, 
then God no longer, it, we no longer see God as our father. And we, li- we begin to live outside the very protection of God. And when we're outside the protection of God, we're subject to our enemies. And we're subject to a great defeat in our lives. And that's why, you know, it's amazing to me in the United States. I mean, I don't know how much of a Christian nation we were back in the 1700s and maybe before that, but we were much more of a Christian nation than we are now. Somebody had to drop the ball. Somebody had to drop the ball. I mean, I look at, I I know my parents' generation is called the greatest generation in the history of the United States because they fought World War II and fought for freedom across the the world. And and, uh, there was this great prosperity of the United States following World War II. And that generation had gone through the Great Depression. And so they appreciated all of these uh, blessings that God laid upon this land. And... Uh, now you look at the generation today, my, even my generation and the next generation, and they don't even know God. No, they, most people don't even know, you know, they don't believe in God. They don't care about God. They certainly don't see God as their father. I mean, very, very few people see God as their father. And it's, they become low ruhama. They don't know their father. They don't know the father, and so they don't receive, they don't live under the father's mercy and grace. And they're subject to be scattered. Then in verse number seven, he says, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, for now, they're going to go down the tubes too, and they're going to get their prophets as we go through the minor prophets. But he says, for now, I'm going to have mercy on the house of Judah. Why, why did he have mercy on the house of Judah and not on the northern kingdom? Because they had a godly king. And most of those kings I listed there that are listed there in verse number one were very godly men, all except Ahaz. They were godly men. And so there was a remnant in Israel that loved the Lord, that saw God as their father. You know, I'm a firm believer, and you see this from history, you see it, especially in the history of Israel, that God gives us the leaders we deserve. And you can kind of measure a society's uh, moral barometer of their temperature, moral temperature, by the leaders they have. And the more evil our leaders become, it's a reflection, especially in a democracy, it's a reflection on how evil our society has become or becoming. And, and so uh, Judah hadn't reached that point yet. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah for now. I'm going to have mercy on them. I will save them by the Lord their God. Uh, and will not save them by the bow. In other words, they're not, not going to be, I'm not going to save them by military might, uh, nor by the sword of battle. 
by horses of horsemen. I, I'm going to save them by my own power. And uh, I'm going to do that because there's a remnant of people there in the land who still see me as their father. You remember the story over in 2 Kings. When Sennacherib came down and he defeated the northern kingdom and took them off into captivity, a short time after that, he mounted his armies and he went down to Judah. And he laid, destroyed many of the cities outside of Jerusalem, but he didn't destroy Jerusalem. He laid siege to Jerusalem. And he was going to destroy Jerusalem. And you remember what happened? He sent this letter he, through his messenger to Hezekiah. This letter saying, you know, why are you trusting in your God? I have destroyed the cities of all these other gods. I've destroyed their temples. Who is Jehovah God that you would trust in him? And you remember what Hezekiah did? I highly recommend when you're in trouble doing what Hezekiah did. I remember when I got in trouble with the IRS and getting, got a letter that said, whoa. I remember doing, I just hadn't been saved long, but I learned what Hezekiah did and I did the same thing. What did he do with that letter? He took it and laid it on the floor and laid on the floor with it. And he begged God. He says, God, they're blaspheming you. They're, 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 they're saying you're no better than the other gods. And our nation's going to fall just like the other nations have fallen. Because they trusted in their gods and their gods didn't deliver them. And you're, you're not going to deliver us. But God, we, I know you will deliver us. And he laid that paper out and laid his heart out before the Lord. And Isaiah came to him and he said, the Lord has heard your prayer. And he's going to answer your prayer. And he goes through this long, almost a, like a psalm, praising the Lord and what the Lord was going to do. He's going to take Sennacherib by, the, by a hook and move him back up to Assyria. And that's exactly what God did. You remember what happened? That night, an angel came and he destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel. We're going to be talking about angels Sunday and, and just, just be mindful of the power they have that one could destroy 185,000, kill 185,000 men just like that. And Sennacherib grabbed his stuff and said, I'm getting out of here. That God is pretty tough. And he went back to Assyria. And then he was assassinated. But he says here in verse number seven, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And he did have mercy. And I will save them by my hand, by the Lord their God, by Jehovah their God, and not save them by the bow, nor by the sword or battle. Uh, by horses or by horsemen. And then in verses 8 and 9, he says, Now, when she had weaned low Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Uh, again, not she bore him a son, she bore a son. So she, the weaning process in that culture was about three years, so she waits about three years and then she goes back to her harlotry. Pretty sure of that. And she has a son and maybe by even a foreigner because of the name that the son gets. Maybe what her father, what the, the, the boy's father wasn't even an Israelite. Uh, she bore the son in harlotry. Then God said, go late name, call his name Loami, which means you are not my people. You are not of my nation. You are not of my people and I will not be your God. So she has this child and and, and uh, who really wasn't his child. And he says, you're not my people. Name this child, you're not my people. 
And God was using that. <laughs> it's a tough illustration. I'd hate to be the, the uh, victim of that illustration. <laughs> but he wanted to illustrate the state of Israel at that point. To be a child of God, you have to have a relationship with God. You have to live in obedience with God. And the, when you choose to live your life without a relationship with God, I don't care what you call yourself. Israel, the Israelites, if you had asked any Israeli on the street during that time, they would say, we're God's special people. We're God's chosen people. We're Jehovah's children. But God says to them, hey, you're not my children. You're children of a harlot. You're children of harlotry. You've gone chasing after idols. You've gone chasing after other gods. You're living in sin. You're not living in a close relationship with me. And so you're not my people and I will not be your God. Can that happen to an individual? You better believe it can happen to an individual. I mean, that, this idea that, that, that God is just going to deal with mankind forever is not true. He's going to deal with a particular person forever. It's not true. Now, I rejected God for 40 years, so he'll deal with you a long time. And in his foreknowledge, he knows if those dealings are doing any good or will do any good. And if he f figures out they're not going to do you any good ever, he'll stop dealing with you. You don't want to have a relationship with God. There will come a point. Again, I don't care what you call yourself. There will come a point when God says, you're not my people. You're not chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I never knew you. I never chose you. Would God have chosen them if they had, if they had chosen him? Yeah. Everybody has that choice. But what a sad day when God says to a person or to a nation, you are no longer my people. You know, I heard Barack Obama say something early in his presidency that really angered me. And I really thought he was way out of line in what he said. He said that the United States is not a Christian nation. He said it's not a Christian nation. And like I say, that really made me mad. But the more I thought about it and, and over these last eight years, and I'm not pinning that on him, just where our country's gone morally. And this, this desire to push God out of every venue of society. What are people saying when they say that? They're saying, you, we don't want you as our God. What's God going to say to that at some point? He's going to say, you're not my people. You're not my nation anymore. I mean, have we reached that point in the United States of America? I would put us more in line with Judah, especially the southern part of the United States. I think some places in the north, man, it's just about over. I mean, they don't want anything to do with God. Nothing to do with God. I mean, they want to outlaw Christianity in certain states of the Union. But maybe, you know, there's enough of a remnant here that we can go back to verse number seven and, and I'll have mercy on the United States of America because there's, some, there's a remnant there. 
There was only a remnant in Judah. Don't think that Judah was having some big revival and they were all loving the Lord. That wasn't true. But there were, they did have godly kings. And they did have people who, who loved the Lord. Israel was toast. They were done. They didn't, they didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And now the Lord says to them, you're not my people. Boy, you think, man, that's some chilling stuff. And listen to God. Don't, don't you love the Lord and his mercy and his love and his grace? If, if any of us were God and God was doing that to us, we would, I mean, I mean, the people were doing that to us and we were God, we would just go ahead and finish them off and be done with them forever. And that's what it sounds like he's saying right there. You're no longer my people. I'm not your father anymore. You're not living in my hedge of protection anymore. You're about to go into captivity. And it sounds really harsh. But then look at the last two verses of, of this text. It's unbelievable. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. So much for the idea that God's done with the nation of Israel. He's not done with the nation of Israel. I don't know who, what book people or what Bible people are reading when they say God is done with the nation of Israel, because He's saying they're going to grow. They're, one day they're going to they're, they're going to numbers are going to be as many as the sand of the sea. There's a lot of sand on the sea. Start counting pebbles, you won't get very far. Which cannot be or grains rather, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, "You are not my people." In the very place in the valley of Jezreel, where they were defeated and destroyed. In that very place, there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. There's coming a time when God is going to write his laws. Just like he's done for the church. He's going to write his laws on his people's hearts. And they are going to become children of God, just like we're children of God. There's coming that time. There's coming that time, and we'll see that when we get to the book of Zechariah, when they're going to look on him, when Jesus comes, they're going to look on him in whom they have pierced. And they're going to mourn as a mother mourns for a lost child. That's just all mercy. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel will be one nation. One nation. They'll be gathered together. And appoint for them one head. They're going to have one king. Who's that king going to be? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will rule the world. I believe David will rule over Israel. Because it says they will appoint for themselves one head. Not, you know, you can, you can say that's Jesus or it's David or it's both. I, I, I would tend to think it's both, but it don't, I don't want to argue about it, so don't come after, afterwards. And they shall come up out of the land for they're going to be for great. They're going to, they're going to be gathered from the end of the land. They're going to come up from wherever they're at at that point. And for great will be the day of Jezreel. What's the day of Jezreel? What's Jezreel? The valley of Megiddo. What happened? What's the Hebrew name for the valley of Megiddo? Armageddon. Great will be the day of Armageddon. Man, when Armageddon takes place, we don't have to wait any more. For God's kingdom to be placed on this earth. 
and for Jesus Christ to rule and reign for a thousand years and we will rule and reign with him. See, see the good news there? Right in the midst of all that judgment, right in the midst of all that immorality and idolatry and all the bad things that were going on, God gives them a hope. I have a, I'm, I'm not done with you people yet. He's not done with the United States yet. He's not done with you and I yet. He's got good plans for us. Look up for your redemption draweth now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the good news of your word. And right here in this so-called minor prophet of Hosea, Lord, we, we see your redemptive plan. Uh, Lord, and, and, and we're so close to that time, that, that time of your return. And Lord, we're just so grateful that, that uh, you're going to save those people who call you Father. Not just with their mouths, Lord, but in their hearts. They cry out by the Spirit, Abba, Father. That's what we cry out, Lord. We, we thank you so much that we can call you Father. And that's all possible through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.